0: Uh, Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the lead pastor. And we are launching a new series this morning uh, called Momentum. And I thought as we start a new year, 2024, uh, now is the kind of the best time to really think about how can we, as a church, uh, build momentum to the purposes and to the things of God, and how that also, in our own life, can overflow into the things that we do on a daily basis with all of our responsibilities, with everything that we have going on. As we start a new year, uh, a lot of times, at least in my own life, it starts with a lot of unknown. We have no idea of what the near future holds. We don't know what things are going to look like one year from now, Uh, but we do know where things can start, and we want to begin as a church talking about how do we focus on those right things so that we can build momentum. For me, in my own life, I've decided that I really want to focus on God, and you're like, well, of course, Alex, you're a pastor. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, But early in my life, I realized that there were many options for me. Uh, I could pursue music. I could pursue a career. I could pursue just kind of my own things on my own terms. But when God got a hold of my life, I realized that his kingdom and his purposes were the things that would last. Out of everything that I could choose, it was his ways and him himself, which actually would go on forever. And I got compelled at about the age of 16 to really surrender and give my life to him. Uh, since that time, uh, there's been many bumps and detours along the way. Uh, your story is probably similar to mine. Uh, despite intentions, despite maybe even sometimes thinking about God and, and my future, uh, it, I got sidetracked. I got off track. But there's a part where God has always gotten a hold of me, redirected my focus, my vision, my goals to the point where I keep aligning with his ways. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, you're here. You, you made a choice to be here And to consider by you being here and by the pattern of coming to church and engaging in a community of faith, how God can use that in your life this year to build momentum. And that's what this series is all about. We're going to spend five weeks looking at certain habits and rhythms that we can apply in our life that can really build the momentum that God wants. Uh, I want to start by defining momentum Uh, I grew up kind of in sports where they would say, like, you got to get mo. Anyone ever heard, like, the word mo? It's, like, short for momentum. But this is actually the the definition. Strength or force gained by motion or by a series of of events. So when you think of momentum, what comes to your mind? Do you have, like, a certain object, a certain picture, an idea in your your head? Well, uh, on Friday, we traveled to Bakersfield. We went through the grapevine. Uh, If you know where that is, and we went to uh, celebrate my wife's mom's 70th birthday. And as we were driving, uh, we were surrounded by semi-trucks, as we see all around the freeways here. But there's something about a semi-truck that actually reminds me of momentum, and it's not sometimes as you think. Here's a picture of a semi-truck. The worst part is if you're the car behind this truck right here, right? And you think like, can I pass? Do I have time? And you don't want to be behind a semi-truck, especially if they're going uphill. On the grapevine, you certainly don't want to be behind a semi-truck as you're going up it. But there's something about a semi-truck which you also don't want to be uh, in front of it on the way down. Because a semi-truck, once it builds momentum, it actually builds and builds. And really, nothing can stop a semi-truck as it gets going. You may have actually seen this uh, on the, the freeway as well. You ever seen one of these? A runaway truck. Now, if you see that image, part of what's scary is it says a runaway truck ramp. And what do you notice? It's It's closed. <laughs> The reason is there's actually a truck on it because they the brakes didn't work. The momentum is too strong. Nothing will stop it. And so the idea is how do you create this that they can get on this incline and it will stop that momentum? In fact, as we were driving through the grapevine, there was actually a truck that had just entered this runaway truck. And I thought to myself, like, I'm so thankful for everyone on this freeway right now, based on the momentum of that semi, that this space was created so that they could have this runaway. And so... This idea of momentum is something that once it gets started, it's very hard to stop. This also translates into teams, uh, kind of on this, this motif of vehicles. Formula One, I don't know if you guys are into to racing, but here's a, a team on the Formula One car. And if you notice, they're actually numbered. There's 21 numbers on this picture, including the driver. There's 20 people outside of this image that are helping on this pit stop so that this Formula One car can continue in the race. Think about momentum, all of these people coming together. And so there's a certain piece of momentum, which especially this relates to us as a church, the idea of a group coming together, 20 people plus the driver. Uh, here, here's NASCAR. Any NASCAR fans? I, I'd be lying. Like, I have no idea, NASCAR, I, the 22 car. That's all I could say because I just saw the number. That's the 22 car. Did that sound right? It's terrible. But but the idea is, again, these people are rushing. They're doing all that they can to continue and to build the momentum of this car in the race. And everyone has a role to play so that in that pit stop, in that just time that it takes, everyone knows what to do. Why? Because momentum, once you have it, you don't want to lose it. And that's exactly how it is in the Christian faith. God gives us these rhythms and these practices that if we continue to do in our life and we continue to do as a community of faith, there's a momentum that can build that cannot stop the kingdom of God. Now, the good news about the kingdom of God is that actually it can't be stopped no matter what we do. So when we join the kingdom of God, we're a part of something that doesn't matter what we do. Although we can make a difference, it will not be stopped. Now, if you think of a group of people coming together, there's another example I want to apply. And uh, some of you may have seen this movie recently, The Boys in the Boat. Anyone seen this just over Christmas? It just was released. It was based on uh, the University of Washington crew team that uh, rowed together, and they were like a young team, and they grew. And I won't ruin the story, but they had many successes. Uh, Here's an actual image from uh, the movie. And the idea of a crew team in in a boat is everyone has to row and do the exact same thing at the same time so that they continue momentum. And really, this team of eight rows as one. That's really the difference between winning and losing a race, and it could be just by milliseconds. The idea of, like, everyone rowing as one, so it's it's one team. Uh, In the movie, there's a character portrayed that's based on a real character. His name's George Pocock, and he is probably considered one of the greatest designers of a shell that exists, the idea of, of designing the boat. And he grew up in this family that designed these boats. And worldwide, he was considered the best designer. So everyone, all these teams came to him and said, like, can you design the boat, design the boat? And so he had this just just instinct. He knew exactly how to build a boat for a specific team based on the wood, based on the aging. He knew how to shape it. He knew how to mold it. And all across the world, people pursued his expertise to build these boats. And he had this quote that I thought Uh, is so important related to this idea of momentum. And he says this, when you get the rhythm in an eight, and he describes this as the rhythm, the rhythm of everyone as one, it's pure pleasure to be in it. It's not hard work when the rhythm comes, that swing, as they call it. And he's describing just that swing of the oars hitting the water and coming out. I've heard men shriek out with delight when that swing came. It's a thing they'll never forget as long as they live. What he's describing is not just a boat that was going fast, not just people that knew how to race, but he's describing a group of people that are experiencing oneness, and I think that is one of the greatest gifts that we can have on this life, is this idea of this unified thing that we can do together, that we get this swing, this idea of we're all together doing the same things, and that's exactly how God built the church, a group of people just like sitting in this section and a group of people just like sitting in this section and all the people that will be here throughout this year, the idea of how do we all come in the rhythm together to be a part of this momentum kingdom building work that God wants to do. He describes men that shriek. Now, I, I know something about men. We don't shriek much, <laughs> but there is something that we will shriek for in this idea that like, we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. In fact, we're all made like that. When we experience something bigger than ourselves, we delight. There's a joy that we have that that can't be found anywhere else. That's what we find in the church. And I wanna start with this principle and build upon this uh, throughout this series over the next five weeks. And it's this, we become engaged participants. The role that you can play, the Lord can build momentum in our church. I really believe that. When each of us are engaged with who God made us to be on all the skills and the talents in your history and where you're headed, God, I think, has placed us all together at a time just like this to engage together, to be a part of a momentum that he wants to build. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I really believe that. I believe this year can be the greatest momentum-building year of our church because every time we look to God and say, God, make us one, for your purposes, for your kingdom, for the work that you wanna do, he delights in that. He's made us for relationships with himself. He's made us for a relationship with each other. And when those things combine, nothing can compare to the work that God wants to do in the church. I wanna encourage you over the next five weeks to what we say at Ridgeview is to cross the ridge with us. We're gonna actually be talking about our strategy, how we grow. Here's an image of our strategy. Uh, Pablo alluded to it at our Next Step table, uh, our Next Step area, sorry. And you'll see each of these stand for something. This is what we're gonna be covering each week, the idea of regularly attending, what God can do right here and right now on a Sunday morning as we gather in his name. If you regularly attend and are part of a worship service, God can use that to get a hold of your heart. No matter what you have going on in your life, no matter what's weighing on you, God can use this time, this hour together to really transform you. But that's not it. There's also something he does as we invest in our life and make our life about how do we reach out to others who don't know God. And we'll talk about how we can develop our life through learning and growing in spiritual disciplines and training ourselves for righteousness as the scriptures command us to. We'll also be talking about how we can group with others and get outside of this large group and get into smaller groups in homes where we can gather And learn. And then finally, we'll just talk about the importance of sacrificing and serving each other. And as we serve each other, it builds up the church. And that rhythm and that swing, as Pocock describes, is something that we can experience. And so this is what we're going to be walking through uh, over the next few weeks. And I I really encourage you to to come. I encourage you to engage in this series. If you don't know the future, I just encourage you for the next five weeks, because none of us know the future, just decide that you will be here. Because if it's about momentum, one of the greatest things that you can do is to learn and to attend and to be here so that we can be a part of learning uh, together. Uh, Here are some things that can limit our momentum, specifically as it relates to a Sunday morning gathering. Uh, The first is becoming inconsistent with attendance. Uh, One of the things that probably all of us have experienced since COVID is, have you noticed that it's a lot easier to not commit to things like we used to? I don't know if you've noticed that. Maybe that's just me, but there's something about what COVID did. It was like a reset where everyone kind of could just decide what they want to do, and and that's certainly the case as it relates to sickness and things of that nature. But there's something about it stopped the rhythm of life that people are still reset and still never recovered. I probably talk to people on a regular basis that still say, you know, Pastor, I still haven't gotten into the habit since COVID. So maybe for three and a half to four years, people have lost the habit of attending and being a part of a church. Not just at Ridgeview, I, just, I talk to people across the country and even relatives just in England, just there's, there's this part of like, it just, the momentum is lost. There's a temptation that we all have. Another temptation that limits is just being passive. Sometimes as we're in church, we think that we come like a sporting event and we're watching what happens. Kind of like this, you you see people that are speaking like now, and you hear people that are playing music, and you just watch, and you just watch, and before you know it, you're just watching, you're not doing anything. You ever found that? You're just gazing and spacing out? That's easy to do. It happens to all of us. Our mind just becomes disengaged. That's another temptation. A third is just seeing this Sunday, gathering as as an information transfer. okay, what is it I need to learn so I can get out of here? I mean, not this group, not first service, right? Right? But it's, it's easy to just, okay, it's like a class I take, and we get really good at knowing how to get through classes. It's just, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And then you leave, and what did you learn? I have no idea. Because we're trained to just kind of gather information like a sponge, but we just wring it out as we walk through the doors. It, it, it's not retained. And then finally, another temptation for all of us is being too self-focused. What's in it for me? Why is this will be good for me? Why it won't be good for me? And before we know it, we can be so self-focused on what we want, our terms, how we want things to happen. This is actually the opposite of momentum building. There's commitment. There's other focused There's active participation. These are the things that really build momentum. Now, if any one of these you find yourself struggling with, you're normal. Don't beat yourself up. Just know these are things that are gonna be going on in your heart. And so the reason I encourage you to make a commitment to be here in five weeks is because if you decide on a Sunday morning whether you'll come, if it's really cold outside and dark and you want to decide the day of, most of the time it's too warm under those covers. Amen. Right? But if you decide beforehand, I'm going to do this, whether it's cold, whether it's rainy, whether I feel like it or not. Now, again... This isn't like this, this legalistic, like you always have to be in charge. Obviously, there's times where you're gone and you're sick. I understand this, but you get the principle of pre-committing. It's very important in life to pre-commit to things. Because if you wait to feel like it to commit, rarely do you do. Because oftentimes we don't feel it. What I want to do is just describe all of the things that kind of went on in the early church as momentum was being built, as the The new Christian community was starting in the first century. Um, The early church gained a lot of momentum, and pastors like myself talk about this kind of momentum, and it's very easy for us to just read it and say, yes, we want to be like that, but oftentimes, we're not going to see necessarily the same fruit. It's a different time. There's all sorts of different circumstances, but there's this commitment that they have that we can commit to regardless of the results uh, here's a brief snapshot. Jesus returns to heaven uh, in Acts chapter one. He, he returns back and then the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter two. And then in Acts chapter two, verses 14 through 36, Peter gives this just sermon of conviction and power based on the Holy Spirit, based on the power of God, inviting people to repent of their sin. And they do. And 3,000 people decide to follow Jesus that day. Now, that might be a reason pastors love to speak of this passage. Could you imagine if we finished a day we went out and there was 3,000 people and they just said, God told us to be here. We want to follow him. Could you imagine what we would do? First is, we don't have enough donuts. <laughs> Lord, may you multiply them like fish. And you're right, right? We'd be praying that. But we don't, we don't even have a category for that kind of work of God. But that is the type of work that God does. And it's not about the number, but it's about the idea that people get to a point in life when God gets a hold of them and there's nothing they can do but to surrender. That's why we practice these things because there's nothing that we can do but to surrender to him on a daily basis. And a Sunday gathering reminds us of what God wants to do. And the strategy of the early church is something that we can pattern ourselves by. And so I wanna read it and just focus on the work that God did. So if you can imagine... Uh, the, the Christian church has been started. They really don't know what they're doing. They didn't have a, a name for this church. The leaders weren't necessarily even nailed down. Places to meet, uh, they hadn't figured out. They didn't have a Bible that they were just turning to. They certainly didn't have a phone that they could look at. They didn't have strategy papers. They had each other. They had the Holy Spirit and God leading them forward. That's what they had. And it was Enough. So let's read this passage. So this is after the 3,000. There's this is group that's gathered. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The awe there isn't just speaking of just the supernatural to the wonder and signs. The awe is, again, speaking of that unified group. They did not know each other. The only thing that is unifying them is the name of Jesus. And there's a part of, like, they look around and say, can you believe what God is doing? Can you believe what we get to be a part of? They're experiencing the greatest thing they've ever experienced. And verses 44, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They had that rhythm of unity. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So there's a willingness to sacrifice. There's a willingness to look to the needs of others Again, not being self-focused. And day by day, what does that say? Day by day. Could you imagine a church saying every day we're going to gather? Crazy. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so you get this momentous 3,000-kingdom-building work of God. And they get together and say, God, we're here in your name. We're going to gather. And I want to focus on a few things. The first is, uh, they, uh, if you see the focus of, of they devoted themselves, you can see that on the scriptures. It's, it's not just one person, uh, they were a group of people. This is the church from the start. It's never about one person, it's not about the pastor. It's not about any celebrity. It's not about anyone except for Jesus and his name. They. And then the next is uh, devoted. And uh, this word devoted is is very interesting. Um, It it connotates the steadfast, single-minded commitment to a certain course of action. Like we're not going to waver. We're going to persist and we're going to keep on doing it. We're going to persist and we're going to keep on doing it. We're not going to stop. I was having a conversation with a a man in our congregation uh, just yesterday. And I was encouraged by his faith just in the middle of some hard things. And I said, you know, I really appreciate your endurance and how you haven't stopped despite all the difficulties. What this man was portraying was devotion. The idea is how could I stop? I'm gonna keep doing what God's called me to do. That's this picture of this New Testament church. So they, plural, a group, were devoted That's my prayer for our church, that us will be devoted. And then there's four things that's described, and I want to focus on these briefly. The first is they were focused on the apostles' teaching. Uh, The apostles' teaching was really Jesus' teaching. Uh, This was not a new teaching. It wasn't like a special word. It was Jesus' teaching, his model, and they just kept on going back to that. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. We're going to proclaim his name. That's even the, the word of like Christians. It's the idea of like little Christ's. It was like mocking in that day, derogatory. They're just like Jesus, and that's the idea. It's his teaching. We're gonna devote ourselves to the teaching of Jesus. That was the first practice. The second is this fellowship, and fellowship is a back and forth a partnership. It's a giving, and it's receiving. It's honest sharing and listening, relationships that are built on mutual trust. Again, what we actually long for in this life. A third practice is the breaking of bread. Uh, There's two aspects here because you see in this passage there's the breaking of bread, but they also shared food with this joy and generous hearts. Like there's this, we do life together. One of the greatest gifts you can have is to have a meal with somebody else and get to know them. You learn about them, you ask questions, and they ask questions of you. That's something about life that's special, that's unique as humans. We can have a meal with somebody and learn and grow and be encouraged. That's this picture. And then also the Lord's Supper of remembering Christ's sacrifice, the breaking of bread that represents his body. So the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the final, the the prayers. Notice uh, it's not prayer, but it's this idea of of prayers like plural, multiple times regularly they prayed together. As I came uh, backstage right before I came up to speak, Pablo was about to do the hosting, and Brandon, who kind of runs our production here, was praying with Pablo right before I came up. And I thought, what a great picture. Just backstage, they were praying together. That's the picture of like the church. At any moment, we need to pray. Somebody has a prayer request, we pray for them. We have an update on prayer, we pray. We, we rejoice like how God has answered it. That's, that's the picture of a church. These four practices uh, started in the first century, but they, they've not stopped. And if I can, go back to that definition of momentum. You'll see there, strength or force gained by motion by, what is it? A series of events. So God, in all of his goodness, as the Christian movement got started, he blessed the work, and people were being added daily to the church. This community was growing. The idea is as you do what I tell you to do, as you do what I've commanded you, I will continue to bless and come through. I will provide people to grow this community so that you can continue to reach the world for my son, Jesus. The series of events is not something that we actually have to reinvent. That's one thing I appreciate so much about scripture. It's timeless. And you have to read it. You have to understand culture, of course. You have to understand what's going on at the time. But there's these series of events and these traditions and these practices that you can see that's just related to being made by God. In his image. At our core, we're all the same, and we have been for centuries. And so God describes these practices for us. Now, uh, in the passage, you'll notice a couple things of their gathering, and I want to draw attention to this because that's what I want to focus on for the rest of the time, the importance of that gathering together, the regularly attending and being in worship, what we're doing right here and right now. Uh, In the passage, uh, there were two instances where they gathered. The first was in the temple and the second was in their homes. This is actually one of the greatest uh, depictors of whether a community is real. The idea is, if you wanna know a community is real, it's not just when people are gathered on a Sunday, but who is gathered in each other's homes throughout the week. That is at any moment in our church. Is somebody inviting someone else over? Is somebody hosting someone else, and that person wanted to host them? And that post? person hosting somebody else, or meeting in coffee shops, getting lunch. Again, these things, it's like this idea of, like, this is happening in our life. We don't just limit the community of our church to a Sunday morning service. It's throughout the week. That's the measure of if a community is real. Is it happening outside of just this snapshot? Because, again, it's the large gathering, and then it's the smaller gathering where we can actually really know people and they can know us. That's that key practice. And then again, the fruit, the Lord added, the blessing. Now for us as a church, as we commit to doing these practices as we have since we've started, no church should ever proclaim this is what we demand of God to do. We only can stand before God and say, Lord, we will commit to doing what you've told us to do and we trust you to grow us. And a lot of times what God does is he grows us on the inside. He grows us personally. And as he grows us personally, we become then people that can help other people in a more godly way. And that's what God does. He, he works in us first before he works out of us. And so these are these practices in temple, in their homes. Now, as you read this, one of the things I want to add is that in the first century, as things were getting started, um, especially as time progressed, as the number of Christians grew, they became a threat. And if you know much about church history, there were many that were persecuted. In fact, the disciples of Christ were martyred for their faith, uh, most all of them, brutal deaths. The church movement, as it was getting started, the authorities and governments and religions were trying to just squelch that movement from happening. And so this growth wasn't just happening in this time of like life was really great. It was actually happening in the middle of the darkness. And that's a reminder too. Oftentimes, the growth that God brings is in dire times. That could be you in your life. You could be thinking, how can I commit to these things with all that I have going on? In fact, it's in the middle of what you have going on that you should commit to these things because God will build that momentum in your life in the middle of darkness, that could be in your life, and that could also be in our world. We see it. And I just want to remind and even pray that there is Christians gathered today that are doing so in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, where they could be actually murdered for their faith. Uh, here, here's just some pictures that I found of house churches. Uh, here's one of, uh, in China. And right there, you can see that's actually a public official that's going to shut that church down. Uh, here's another picture in Iran. just in a home, and here, here's one in Somalia. Three people. Somalia is actually ranked as one of the highest uh, just persecuted places for Christians. The reason I bring this up is most of the time we see church as optional. These people see it as it's life-giving. Why? Because if you're willing to gather and your life could be taken, there's something that you gain from that, that it's worth it. And so right now, I'd just like to pray. Let's pray. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are persecuted for their faith, who battle fear on a regular basis, proclaiming your name, who have to really weigh whether they can be baptized in public because of what could happen, for those who have limited access to resources and Bibles in their language, for those whose families disown them, for those who have lost loved ones because of their faith, God, we lift up our brothers and sisters. We stand with them. We pray that you will continue to encourage them, give them courage, give them help, give them peace in the middle of the the turmoil that they experience. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The reason I bring this up is it's really a privilege for us to stand with them. And we get to do this in our country that actually we have freedom. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm very thankful. But there's people that even don't have the freedom that still do it. And that, you know, that really challenges me. That calls me forward. It's like I admire their faith. And if I was in the same place, it's like, Lord, would you grant me that same faith? Okay, let's dig into just some brief uh, practices here. And I'm going to kind of move uh, quickly And um, with the the time that we have left. So here's the question. Why gather every Sunday? What's the big deal? Why why should we do it? Other than this is what we see in the early church. Well, there's three basic elements that God wants to use through this gathering that can help you. The first is teaching, singing, and fellowship. Uh, The main goal of teaching is to understand the Bible and learn how to apply it to daily life. That's why it's not just information transfer. I'm not going to read the passages, but in your listening guide, I encourage you to pull that out and you can make note of this this week. You could spend some time reading through the scriptures. But in James 1, it describes being a doer of the word. So what we want to do on a Sunday morning is learn how the Bible actually relates to everyday life, practical in my relationships, in my responsibilities, in my attitude, in my actions, and then do it. We're commanded to be doers of the word. And so the teaching is to remind us the Bible is real, it's practical, I can apply it to my life, and I need to. And that's why we have next steps, is to really encourage that, to understand the Bible and apply it. Now, the second is uh, singing. Now, I want to just play a, a brief clip from, from a concert that I attended with my son, uh, Levi. He, I Hold on a second. Or just keep it going. Just keep it going. That's fine. now. Now, the reason I bring this up is I do love Coldplay. That's one reason. But when I was at this concert, and we had these like little bracelets, and you probably could see them, they're all lit up. When I, when I was at that concert, I actually experienced something that reminded me of like the church. in, in fact, maybe I longed for the church to experience what those people experienced. It was this crazy. A situation where everyone, of course, it's, it's, it's a concert, and everyone knows the song. But there was something so unifying in that group. Like, no one knows each other for the most part. You know, you're just there. But it was just this environment of just this vitality. Like, people just, they are singing, and I'm looking at people, and they're, like, putting arms around each other and just, like, swaying and in the moment. And I thought, like, what a crazy experience. Like, that's part of what singing and the arts do. And that's actually the kind of experience. Now, it, we're not going to have bracelets next week, like, right? Like later in the clip, there's fireworks. Like we don't have that, okay? But, but the idea is there's this unifying because everyone knew the song and everyone was there for the artist and everyone was there for this moment. It was unifying. It was like Coldplay fans. You don't go to a concert if you're not the fan, right? But at church, we have sometimes the opposite. Like where singing is uncomfortable, like, you you know, maybe don't know the words. You don't really like the sound of your voice. Like, there's all sorts of things. But if you look out at the world, they're like longing to rally and to even rally and sing about something. And the church, like, we've been commanded to do it, to sing. Like, it's not an option for us as a church. That's, that's why we do it. And so the main goal of the singing is to focus on God and exalt him. So if... We all can have an experience if you've ever been to a concert before and you're like, wow, that was like so well done. What a good show. Most of the time you're exalting the moment or the artist or the song or the feeling. But when we sing in the church, we are exalting God. And there's no one greater. There's no one who loves you more than he does. There's no one who will be more faithful than him. There is no one who knows you better than he does. So if you think of, like, a moment worthy of singing, it's church. But even this morning, I was singing, and I started, man, I felt like my voice was shrieking. I, I didn't even, I was like, ah, you know? I was like, well, that sounds bad. You, it's very easy, like, you, you can get self-focused. Sometimes, like, you want to focus on yourself. Sometimes you, you, you're you embarrassed. Like, there's all sorts of things. It just doesn't feel right, especially for men. This is a struggle. I've talked about this before. But we get to exalt the name of God. And there's something about art and singing which unifies you in a different way. It is actually special because it represents like a joy. You sing out. And when it's done in a way where it's unified in one voice, it represents that the unity of the church. Does that make sense? It's like one voice on one note with one sound to this one God. Colossians 3, this is actually one of the memory verses for today, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's that joy. And where is it rooted in? God's word and who he is. And it overflows where you you let out a song. So singing, it's very important. So I wanna encourage you, really engage when we sing. Uh, Years ago, I was reaching out to a non-Christian, a man who hadn't grown up in church, and he would always come late to the service right before my sermon. And I finally asked him, I said, well, why do you, Why do you always come late right before He's like, I don't want anything to do with that singing stuff. Like, I can kind of, like, I understand that. But part of it is there was nothing in him that wanted to exalt the name of God. So when we do, we're we're saying, like, he's worthy. He's worthy of our song. Um, And that's something we sang this morning. The third, the main goal of fellowship, to spur each other into deeper commitment to Christ. Uh, This is something that actually separates uh, the church from the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world, especially, um, you know, in in our country in our in our state, many of relationships are are very surfacey. Like we're very nervous to engage. Uh, I think some of it is like we've been just. There's so much messaging about don't offending people, and, and and so everyone's very guarded. I don't know if that's a fair statement, but that's what I've experienced in my life. People are very guarded. Uh, they're very hesitant. Everyone's just feeling each other out, but. Christians in the church actually are committed to loving and relating to each other in a certain way. Like What it means is like the the guards can come off a little bit. Now, we still need to build trust. Obviously, every relationship does. But this is a command that we're supposed to actually encourage each other. Again, just like saying, this is what we're supposed to do. Um, I won't read it, but in Hebrews 10, it talks about that. But encouraging one another. This is something we're supposed to do. Now, encouragement... Uh, that word, briefly, means to actually, it does mean to spur. It doesn't mean to make somebody feel good. It's this love with an edge of challenge. Like, I see you. I know what you're going through. Keep going. Like, keep doing what God's called you to do. There's also a part of, like, if you haven't connected with somebody in a while and they come to your mind, you ever, you ever, that, that, that happens? Like, you haven't seen somebody, you haven't talked to them, and they come to your mind. That happens to me all the time. And you just, you, you think about it, one of the things of, like, this fellowship is like, I'm not going to just think about it. I'm a, I want to follow up. Like, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. I haven't seen you in a while. How, how are you doing? I miss you. That's, that's fellowship. Because you also want to be the type of person that as you take the initiative, somebody would take the, that initiative with you. If they hadn't seen you for a while, isn't it great that somebody notices? They follow up. It's not, you know, to guilt people. It's, it's like, you matter. You being here matters. Your presence matters. We, we all need that in life. And so as I close out, I, I'm reminded of a pic I want to share. This is the first time we gathered after COVID. We're at a park, and I'll never forget that feeling of when we came together. Because our encouragement had been online, you know, distant. But when we gathered in that park, and, you know, none of us know what we're doing. We're like, is this chair too close to the other? You know, we're, we're, that was the mode we are in. And I, I believe it was cold that night. Uh, but this, is, this was like the gift, like the fellowship. It's a gift. Um, that's a certain part that we're, we're supposed to do. Um, I'll never forget that. Like, that's what I always want to remember the privilege we have of gathering, especially when we've not been able to. Um, here's just some things to consider that I want to encourage you to do. Um, commit to attend regularly as you think about momentum in your life. Just commit, like I've said. Uh, it can start with just the f- five weeks. Just start with the five weeks, the first five weeks of this year for this series. Uh, commit to attend. Uh, we're defined in life by our commitments, not by our feelings. So commit, make that decision first, and then your feelings often come. I don't know if you know that. Make the commitment, and then your your feelings often come. uh, Sing out and reflect during worship songs. Uh, This was on my mind as I was singing this morning, but the words that we were singing, um, talking about the chain breaking, like if you think about that, like how has God broke the chains in your life? That's powerful. Like, don't go through the motions, like reflect. What is that word, that phrase? What is that chorus? What does it mean? So sing out and, and reflect. And if you're reflecting and you can't sing out, that's, that's meaningful too. Like just reflect and just take it in, but engage your mind. Uh, take notes to identify your next steps. Um, sometimes you might feel like this if I talk too fast. Uh, here, here's a pic, I, I think this is funny. Wait, stop, I'm taking notes. You can feel like that. But we're in the 21st century. Look at this. This is how we take notes now, right? Like, hey, wait, that just, just, you got the right angle of that? Like, but the idea is like we, we're actually learning the truths of Scripture, and it's important, so we want to we engage in that. And so commit to attend, sing out and reflect, take notes to identify your next steps. And then the last is just engage with people uh, before and after the service. Uh, we have a a rule here at Ridgeview. We call it the five-minute rule. And the idea is five minutes before service starts and five minutes after the service ends, take that time to connect with somebody that you don't know or that you haven't seen in a while. Uh, It's easy to sometimes just flock to the people that we know. But if you can take that five minutes to engage with somebody that you don't, God could really use that. And if you do it both, front end, back end, that's 10 minutes Could you take 10 minutes to help somebody? I know I can. I I can always make 10 minutes. And so I encourage you, just engage with people. Um, I want to wrap up, and I'm I'm so glad you're here as we start this new year. I encourage you to come back as we're going to learn together. I'm going to pray and just ask God to help us build this momentum. Father, thank you for this day, uh, this start of the new year, this first Sunday as we can gather in your name. Thank you for the example that we have of your people, Uh, despite darkness and persecution and confusion and a lack of resources uh, through the centuries, people have gathered and you have worked. And so we don't come to you with our own lofty ideas and our special, unique talents. Uh, We come to you with just a humble, earnest desire for you to build momentum with our church. God, we do want to make this gathering a priority. We want to build our life around the fellowship and the singing and learning your teaching. So God, just show us if there's any areas in our life where we're just tempted to go in the opposite direction, to isolate ourselves. And Lord, I pray just over these next few weeks that you'll help us to engage with people that you've brought to this church. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.